And he replied, yeah, that's what the cow said. <laughs> oh, oh, Carl, that is just a tremendous joke. Thank you. I did not see the ending coming. Well, thank you again, and it is not just funny, but it's absolutely true. It really happened? It really happened. It really did. <laughs> the greatest story ever told. Will not be presented at this time. I got tears running down my cheeks. In order to bring you the following special podcast. You gotta tell it again. Tell it again. It's almost <laughs> live. Still alive. It's alive. A limited podcast series about Northwest Television's legendary TV sketch comedy show. An amazing phenomenon. Featuring intimate conversations with the writers, performers, creators. Rustlers, cutthroats, murderers, bounty hunters, desperados, bushwhackers, hornswagglers, horse thieves, bulldogs, train robbers, bank robbers, ass kickers, shit kickers, and murderers. Your host was one of them. I think I would remember a thing like that. Pat Cashman. What's the matter with you? Almost live. This is just a real nice surprise. Still alive. Just a real nice surprise. Like any sketch comedy show, part of Almost Live's ability to sustain week after week came from a reliance on recurring characters and bits. Uncle Fran, Capable Woman, Sluggy, The High Five and White Guys, A Woman's Place, Speedwalker, The Joy of Painting Guy, The Lame List, Green River Dance, the worst girlfriend in the world, and more. But, and I cannot prove this, if you ask most any show fan who's their most remembered recurring character, the winner has to be the Mind Your Manners guy, Billy Kwan. If Almost Live produced, say, 12 versions of The Lame List, there were perhaps twice as many episodes of Mind Your Manners. Now, I could be wrong. I once thought that gravity was a hoax. It is. It is? Yeah. Oh, okay. But in any case, Billy was a mainstay, at least once a month. The guy who played the part never auditioned for it. He was, to say the least, a reluctant thespian. But like it or not, Daryl Suto became one of the most recognized figures on a show in which he was not even a formal cast member. Born in Seattle, a third-generation Japanese-American, raised a Buddhist, now a Catholic. He earned seven National Daytime Emmy Awards, not as a performer, but as a production photographer and editor. It's hard to believe, but he is a man with no formal martial arts training. And yet, as the otherwise peaceable Billy Kwan, he could kick your ass. He now lives in Oklahoma City with his wife, Mary. There is certainly no one more beloved among the people who worked with him back in the day than Daryl Suto. Daryl, it occurred to me that I would just do this interview with me dubbing your voice uh, for the entire interview. So I would just go, uh, hi, Daryl. And, and then you'd go, hi, Pat. It's a pleasure to be with you. I thought, <laughs> and that, that's pretty lame, but it, it reminds no, me. No, 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 it's not. It's reality. But it reminds me you, that you are one of the the most out front people that folks remember about the show, but nobody knew what your actual voice sounded like because I dubbed it all the time for the Billy Kwan stuff. So well, let me, well, let, could, let's let it could have been it could have been the voice that I used, but why didn't you, you know they didn't they just didn't why it, didn't we it, just this, use your own voice? That would have. Well, I think it was a union thing. Oh, it was. Yeah. <laughs> Solidarity forever. Solidarity.
are probably the most loved person in the history of that show by the people who worked on the show. You didn't have any enemies. Wow. You didn't have any enemies. I, I had people who tried to stab me, shoot me, <laughs> strangle me, but not. I think I was one of them. Well, yeah, I, that's true. You were, but I, I, I really, put a, yeah, I really pissed. I put thumbtacks in your chair all the time. Yeah, that was you. Oh, yeah, just us needling you. Yeah, some of those tacks are still in my butt right now, as a matter of fact. And I've got so get used that to looked at. I've got so used to them, I don't <laughs> remove them. So let's uh, let's begin at the beginning because I am a very linear thinker. Um, so you grew up in Seattle, third generation Japanese American. Tell me about your folks and, and where you, what neighborhood you grew up in. Well, it's uh, Fred and Judy, and I grew up uh, on uh, Dearborn Street and Twentieth. It's right in the central area there. Yeah, and uh, and then and then we moved uptown to uh, Beacon Hill when when. Uh, when we were in the uh, grade school, I guess. So we had this little home, but you know, it was like a log cabin my dad built. Really? But huh. it was really, it's just really tiny little house that I recall being uh, a gigantic mansion with a huge yard. That's so cute. Yeah. Yeah. And, but you know, how do you remember those things? You could drive by it now and it just was like, what? Is it still there? It's it's still there, but not the house. They somebody put a. One what of I meant modern, is it's still there. I meant there. the house, not the land. Yeah. Of course, the land no, the, is still there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sometimes, sometimes you couldn't tell where the house was now because they just shifted everything around. But well, uh, that no, that place no. should still be there, and it should be a national museum. This is where Billy Kwan grew up. It's a shame. So yeah. so then, where did you go to grade school? Grade school is Bailey Gatzer. This is Bailey Gatzer Elementary School, and we are a place that you can come to and have fun and learn. You know, uh, I started Bailey Gatzer. It was on 12th Avenue, right by the bridge there. You know, the, the big Seattle shot they show in the downtown and the freeway in the foreground. Sure. It's just, it's just right like one block away from that spot right there. That must've been pretty noisy. Yeah, well, it was, but we, you know, when you're growing up with that, you don't ever think no, of that. No. It's just the way it is. So, so, you know, so then, and then high school was where? Uh, Cleveland High School. The 24th president wasn't that different from the 22nd president. They were both lawyers from New York. They were both Democrats and they were both Grover Cleveland. Metro Cleveland. League, South Beacon Hill, uh, overlooking Boeing Field. Where that's where my dad worked. Oh, your dad worked at Boeing. Yeah, he was there for thirty-five years. And uh, wow. what he used to say was, "I, I, uh, he was a, a, me uh, a mechanic, but then he went to school and got an engineering uh, certification from Boeing, and then he was working on the big one, what he called the big one, which is the seven four seven. The power to lift two hundred forty-two thousand pounds." The power to fly at 600 miles an hour. The power to span the globe. Was the 747 possibly the most recognizable plane on Earth? And it's all thanks to those superheroes of Boeing. The Incredible. And then my brother followed him into that too. So they were both working at Boeing. So how many uh, siblings do you have? Daryl? Did I lose you? Oh, ain't no doubt about it. I'm losing you. 
How could you lose me? Yeah, yeah, I got you now. Uh, how many how many brothers and sisters do you have? Well, I have two brothers. Uh, one lives in Wichita, Kansas, and the other is in Seattle and Seward Park area. And then a sister who lives on Beacon Hill still by the Jefferson Park Golf Course. The home course of Freddie Couples. Ah. So you had your dad uh, uh, 35 years at Boeing, and your mm -hmm. brother followed him there as well. And I'm always fascinated why somebody goes a different direction. And how in the uh. world did Daryl Sudo decide, nope, I don't want to do that. I yep. want to do this. I want to be in uh, communications. I want to be in broadcasting. I want to. Yeah. I want to be. Uh, how, how how did you get steered that way? Was there a well, moment you can remember that you wanted to do that? Well, I know. I just here's the thing about that. Uh, I was going to the University of Washington. I got into the communications department, and you know, I was. I wanted to be a still photographer for a newspaper, and then maybe do some ah. reporting. But, it's so uh, funny, Daryl, you'd bring that up because a lot of the people I've talked to during the course of these podcasts have had wanted to be in journalism, almost 50% yeah. of the folks, up from Bob Nelson to Mike Noon to uh, you name it, they all, but then of course, at some point you think, wait a minute, there, either I changed my mind or there isn't journalism around anymore. So That's for so, sure. So you no. began there. Did you work at the paper, the daily? No, no, I didn't get, no, I did not. I, I was writing things, copy, and they would get, you know, write, mark up my copy. Uh, uh, the professor would write, you know, you need to do this and that. And I was all ready to go for an internship. And then uh, the professor said, uh, well, I don't, I can't get you the Seattle Times or anything. They don't have any openings, but I could get you into Como TV. Would you want to do that? Really? Yeah. Huh. And so I went, well, I hadn't thought about it, but I, I guess I, I guess I could do that. And did, so I did he, did you have in mind that you would go work at the news department? I thought that that's all, all there was, but it wasn't the news department. It was programming, which is non-news and it's all the other stuff they do. That's not on the news. Right. So I ended up going right into that instead of doing news, uh, I, I didn't get a chance to write even one story. So, but all, but all you're talking about so far is writing. How did yeah. you become an editor and, and a photo, uh, you know, a photographer, the, the guy so skilled with the camera? You didn't obviously do that at, at college, right? Well, you know, the thing about television is there's pictures involved with it, and it's not just writing. So, uh, you know, if you're going to really have the job, you could be a writer behind the scenes, but, I, you know, I would rather, you know, have gone the reporter route or something like that. But I, I wasn't, I, I didn't aim for that at all. That was not even in the in the realm of uh, my thinking at all. I just uh, started to do, you know, some some of the guys uh, on the photo staff. They just said, "Hey, come on, you know, you got to be my sound man." And uh, uh, and so I started going out in stories and recording the sound. And uh, you know, that's when he had the camera had two pieces to it. One was a big box that you carry that recorded the picture and the sound. One guy yeah. carried that and carried a microphone, and then and then the photographer would just shoot and then be feeding that through an umbilical cord. We call yeah. it the imbecilical cord. But uh, <laughs> it's still still called that, I think. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Anyway. But that, it's funny though because now uh, nowadays yeah. you don't have a sound man. You don't have a. A lot of reporters go out with their camera and they shoot themselves, and they're a one man yeah. band. Yeah, that's uh, true. There's, which means fewer jobs, of course, and yeah. 
guys like you might not have ever gotten into the business. So did you like, did you take to it right away? Did you like it? Or did you still say, gee, I wish I was working for a newspaper? Well, no, I, I like the collaboration. I like the fact that it took a bunch of people to put the thing on, you yeah. know, and I always liked that about television. It was collaborative and, and yeah. writing can be such a solo thing. And right. I, I, I was attracted to, <clears throat> sorry, uh, the, uh, the team. Can I get you a lozenge? <laughs> no, I got, I got it. there. <laughs> no, I, why, don't you, I, why don't you put the cigar down, Daryl? Come on. All right. <clears throat> it's getting that gravelly voice, but that's, you know, that, that sounds good, actually. Yeah. Adds a little luster. <laughs> okay. Well, I, that part could be cut out. Oh, for sure. I will. But anyway, I just think that. Uh, the, I think that's uh, actually the been about, the highlight of you know, the interview getting, so far. So. Getting that little fleck <laughs> caught in my throat. See, that's why I'm not on the air. Okay. Yeah. And that's why Billy Kwan never spoke. God, that's, that used to be my up. that used to be my nightmare. I did radio and TV, and I always thought right in the middle of something, I, I would start <laughs> hacking and coughing, and then you couldn't recover your voice. <laughs> I got really lucky; it never happened to me. But man, I, that used to be a nightmare. No. Yeah, that's what you call it. Yeah, that's one of those things where you just got to go with it, okay? Do you just have, go with it. I know we're getting off track here, but do you have broadcasting nightmares? Like, you, like you've been shooting somebody? Oh, gosh. And then you realize, oh, shit, I forgot to turn the camera on. Or, I mean, do you have stuff like that? Sometimes, uh, uh, you know, at King Broadcasting, we did a lot of production things. And a lot of times, NBC would come into town and say, we need to get someone down to the Sweet 16 basketball game. And uh, so I'd go down and cover it. And uh, for for one reason or another, the team that I was supposed to follow uh, won. And uh, Don Cricky. I remember him. Yeah. 38 seconds to go in the game. Notre Dame third and goal of the three-yard line of Georgia Tech. Alaco rolls out. Pitches back with the ball. Is Dan not touchdown Notre Dame. Yeah, he, he, uh, he was the reporter. And I was supposed to follow him along and get the post-game interview. So we're rolling away. I thought I was rolling. And uh, we got through the whole interview, and I said, Don, I think I was not rolling. Oh, God. And he was such a pro. He goes, well, let's just get him back. And I thought, wow, that's just, you know, that was a high-pressure situation. It was in the moment, and I blew it. I just got to push the button. And that thing about that, you know, those buttons is you could get it reversed, and you turn it off when you think you're turning it on, and then you turn yeah, it on. it still happens. Think it's yeah. Off. yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah, so that happened to me, <laughs> but you know, then you never do it again. Never happened again. Yeah. Well, he's a class. He was a classy guy to not blow up. Cause you know, a lot of people would have. And, oh uh, yeah. No, yeah. he, he just ran after the guy and we did it all over again. And then I saw it the next day on the air. It was worked out great. You, you worked at uh, Como TV for how long? It's either two or four years. I can't remember. Well, let's say three. Okay. Something like okay. something in that neighborhood. How did you wind up coming over to King? So here's another story. So a, a guy I knew at King, good friend, he was at Como for the for years and he was one of my mentors. So what he did was he said, Hey, I'm moving on to the network. I want you to take my job. And so I I and I was comfortable at Como because I didn't think I would ever get in television. I was just perfectly fine to stay where I was. But then another 
friend of mine, uh, another photographer who was working at Como at the time, he said, if you don't take that interview, I'm going to beat you up. I'm going to punch you in the nose because he said, that's a really good opportunity because they're asking you to come over. There. So I went over there for the interview and it was such a different culture shock there to go into King five. Cause my first my first image of King five was walking down this long hallway and I was looking up at this area uh, in the production area and there was a producer with his feet up on the table on his desk <laughs> and he was smoking a cigarette and just blowing the smoke right up in the air. And you never <laughs> saw that in Como, okay? And so I went, what is this place, right? Who was and, that? Who was that? Oh gosh, uh, what is his name? Uh, he yeah. went off to work for Boeing. <laughs> oh, Lester. Oh, Le Lester Gray. Yeah, it was Lester. Lester Gray. I and I Lester never Gray. forgot that. I just thought, boy, what a place, you know? And, and wouldn't we all like Les Gray? Grecian Formula 16. So I wasn't sure until I saw that guy. <laughs> smoking a cigarette and i said this is the place for me yeah exactly well the 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 program director uh don lacombe he just said the job's yours if you want it and i just was not ready to hear any of that because then you, you I, now i had to make up my mind you didn't even have to uh, uh fill out a questionnaire or anything they just said here's your job take it yeah they just said you could you, you know it's yours if you want it uh yeah. and and i thought because I thought, well, what, when does that happen? Because everybody in school said, you're going to go to Boise, Idaho before you get it. If you're in television, you got to go away yeah. before you yeah, come no, back, right? Yeah, usually that is the case. You're right. Yeah, right. Uh, did Donald Combe, who has passed away, was a terrific guy. He was the production yeah. director. He got it started, he, man, for me. He did. And uh, when I went to an interview at King, uh, I, uh, you know, I was going to work in the sales department. I was going to be a producer of commercials in the sales department. Uh -huh. And I, and I was, but they said, before we hire you, you have to go down and, and interview with Don Lacombe. Mm -hmm. I said, well, what does he have to do with commercials? And I said, it's just how we do things here. So I went down, I met Don, and then he sits me down and he asked me a bunch of questions. And then, and I, I learned this later, he gives you what is called the pencil test. <laughs> Did you have that? I, I think I had a shortened version of it or something, but yeah. But I was, I was warned about it. If there's a question bothering your brain that you think you know how to explain, you need a test. Put it to the test. Put it to the test. Yeah, the pencil test is that he hands you a short stub of a pencil it's got no eraser on it and it is a, maybe an inch to two inches long and he says i want you to write a commercial selling me this pencil <laughs> and that was the test and so uh, i i don't know why i could have lost the job but i didn't take him seriously and i wrote this stupid goofy <laughs> thing i i knew what he wanted me to write he wanted me to write something that said uh, this pencil will be wonderful because it has no eraser so you will never make a mistake because you can't afford to make a mistake with this pencil because you can't erase your mistake and it's <laughs> it's a tiny pencil so every word you write has to be precious and perfect and to the point because you don't have that much lead left i mean i <laughs> i think that's where he was going with this yeah but right I, exactly I, I wrote something entirely weird and different and he he wound up liking it I don't think it had anything to do with me getting hired, but 
Uh, I just thought, no, well, I think it, that he, was, that was interesting. He wanted to put the pressure on you, see what would happen. Yeah. I think you're right. I think yeah. you're right. And, and, uh, you did well. I, I, I want me one of those pencils. I want one. <laughs> yeah. We all need one of those. So we don't goof <laughs> off so much. That's right. So you, um, uh, by the way, I don't know if I mentioned this. Yeah. I, I think I did at the beginning. You live in Oklahoma city. Yeah. Oklahoma. Yep. And Daryl, I have to tell you that I uh, have never been to a Starbucks since Howard Schultz uh, gave away <laughs> the Sonics to Oklahoma City, and I never will go back to a In short, the guy who runs Starbucks sold the Sonics to some guys who weren't from here, and when they didn't get a new gym with restaurants and Wi-Fi and all that other fancy stuff new gyms come with, they left. Do you follow sports? Or are you still a Seahawks fan? Well, no, I'm a, I'm a Seahawks fan. I follow them. And I watch it any way I can because we we're, you know, we're not in the right region to get the game right. all the games. Right. So we we right. have to buy viewership, and we you know, Mary and I have it. We we have it. Wow! We watch so it you're that committed? Screen. Wow! Oh Good. yeah! Fire to the back of the end zone, reaching up, touchdown Seahawks! So let's get back to King. You, yeah. you start at King. What what do they have you doing when you're there? When I first started, I, I did yeah. the How Come Show with Al Wallace. I'm Al Wallace. I think I found an easy way to study Washington State history. Yes, kid show. It was and, legendary. Yeah. And and I got teamed up with Al Stenson. He goes way back to when King Broadcasting was in the Smith Tower. And founded by a Dorothy Bullitt. In 1947, Mrs. Bullitt acquired a struggling radio station located on the 21st floor of the Smith Tower. She bought the call letters K-I-N-G for a song from a merchant ship. K-I-N-G. And uh, Al Stinson, another mentor of yours. Yes, uh, very much so. He just kind of just started making me move towards writing some of the stories because they were simple stories about how things are made, you know, or the behind the scenes of, yep. as an example, it's like how does lead get into a pencil? And we'd go to the factory and see that. And how that pencil could maybe later become part of a test. The lead laying machine's wheel loads itself with leads. Their spacing matching the grooves in the slats. Watch the machine make it or go to the potato chip chip factory and watch potato chips be made. To make regular chips, they cut slices six one hundredths of an inch thick. But you know, it just it was a real idea of sequencing shots, you know, and editing it together so that they all flowed together. It's told yeah. a story, you know, and uh, yeah, storytelling. He, he yeah. taught me that. Wow. And then and then others, you know, just by being there, King was King Broadcasting was known nationwide. People were trying to get over there for from Minneapolis, it's oh yeah, King Broadcasting. I I, I did, wish I could ever I could work there. Did you know that when you were growing up in Seattle? Nah. See, no. I didn't either. When I got my job at King, I had no idea of the legacy of King. I just stumbled in there, big dumb and and, and naive as hell. I had no idea that King was like the most coveted place you could work. Yeah, absolutely. in TV broadcasting, and and uh, and then I landed there. It was amazing. Well, how they it, did. How would yeah. almost live ever get on, except oh, for a exactly. King Five, right? And yeah, and the Como's way it got gonna, on. Yeah, you think Como's going to put it on, or Cairo, or anybody else? I had the idea. I had the idea after Almost Live was over that I would try to peddle a show like it at the Seattle Channel. Yeah, you know, it's a local, sure, government-owned Seattle TV station, and then I, and then I realized. Wait a minute. No, I, they'll never put this show on the air because <laughs> half of what we did is make fun of the government. So That's we're not right. they're not going to put us on the air. Yeah, right. Uh, it was just a wonderful moment in time that Almost Live happened. And, and I'll tell you the thing about that Almost Live is that, you know, uh, 
if if almost almost life kind of came together once the sort of the matter started to be attracted to it and it started to form something and it wasn't something that was planned it just kind of came together as yeah uh, you know in parts and pieces and then it came up and if you look at the history it, it it is it went through iterations and and finally became this perfect thing that no one really wanted to touch and they couldn't have planned it that way you would have never planned it that way if no. you did it could have been uh you know at best sort of uh, predictable and uh, you know it's the idea of doing comedy uh and being well aware that that's what you're doing but <laughs> you know I, I don't know how else to explain it but it just really is a, a self-conscious sort of approach as opposed to just letting it be what it's going to be yeah and we got really lucky with that because i mean that show was on the ropes more times than uh than any boxer i mean you, yeah they you'd read stories in the paper all the time oh, almost live almost dead yeah uh, it's gonna be canceled every year <laughs> any, any moment or we got management ticked off at us for uh, you know, making fun of car dealers and then the car dealers canceled oh, yeah, their right. advertising, you know, there, there'd be a million and one countless times when there would be imminent cancellation, but it never quite happened no. uh, until it finally did. Isn't of course. that but, weird though? Isn't yeah, that weird? It is. No, but it's still yeah. on though, isn't it? I think they've stopped rerunning it, but okay. man, did they <laughs> milk that cow for a long time. Yeah. But the thing is, at least from my point of view, as as a writer and a performer, if you mm. look at the early days of the show, there are some horrific, yeah. Oh, yeah. horrific <laughs> efforts. But you do something for fifteen years, and you finally get pretty good at it. Yeah, it was. You learn how to do it. You learn how to write. You learn how to shoot pieces that are and and tell tell stories. And you don't get to do that when you're right. You're three years old. And, and it made a lot of careers for people from Bill Nye to okay. Bob Nelson to Keister and, and, and you. So, um, so you, but you were already at King for a while. And mm -hmm. then this almost live show starts up. Were you part of that effort from the beginning or, or did you join along the way? Well, I think, I think really it started off with Keister, John Keister and Mike Boydston. And, yeah. and yourself and you guys were doing things uh you know it kind of went that way and i kind of found my way to it uh you know because in the programming department there's uh there was a morning show there was an evening show and yeah. then there was everything else and almost live was just you know well here's the thing most both mike mike boydston and i wanted to make little little short films and things like that and you know the style of almost live lent itself to breaking the shots up into shots and the angles. And, yep. and really that's what it was. And then, and, and then you kind of came up with a sort of the editing style of things and was kind of emulated. And then it kind of evolved from there. Uh, just the idea of moving the camera around and getting just the right shot. So it's not just one shot following everything, you know, which it tends to be because you don't break it up into, you know, individual shots. It's usually just one shot and then the, the comedy happens within the frame, but we cut it together. You know, Mike and I like to do that. We like to come up with these DP, director of photography shot things, you know, right. and then come around and edit it just right at the right moment to be able to dial in when the laugh is going to be and all that. And then, you know, when then we, then the, the team would just critique it, you know, and then try to get things to come back and then they'd argue about it. And then, it, uh, and then it would just, be too late and then it have to go on right and then we gotta get on to the yeah. next week right yeah well i i don't know if you ever thought of yourself this way but 
you were a writer of the show. You and Mike and every camera guy and every editor, you were writing the show as part of, of what you were doing. Because your decisions about how to edit it, whether to put a pause in or, or eliminate a scene or take a different angle, all of that is part of writing, in my opinion. Yeah, well, that's the thing about that. That's the collaboration, okay? So that the, yeah. wor the yeah. words are written and then you take it from there. And then, you know, and then some of the things that you used to do with sound effects, you used to put sound effects in pieces that would just make it just, you know, a laugh become a, a roaring laugh because it would just be a, you know, right at the right spot. Well, right? that's nice of you to say. You know, when, when uh, somebody's, I, I think what was one of the Billy Kwans is, uh, I think Billy throws a rock. And uh, John, John is way down there in the background and you hear this long pause and then you hear, then John falls. That was one of yours. I think you did it. Well, I'll it, tell you this. I'll, I'll be honest with you, Daryl. I stole that bit. I had it in my head for a long time. <laughs> it was like from a silent movie or something. Laurel and Hardy, maybe. Hardy or one of them is running away from the camera. They're, they're just a dot on the horizon. And somebody <laughs> throws a baseball at them. And then there's a long, long... Exactly. And then you see... And they, they fall down. <laughs> so I, I stole that bit. But I, I've always had it in the back of my mind. I'm going to use this someday. It's so perfect, though, you know, because yeah, it's it like, fun. that's the kind of humor I'm talking about. Sometimes I didn't have an idea in my head. And I would go into the audio booth. We had a king. And I would listen to uh, pieces of music and stuff. And then you'd find a, a piece of music and the, and the whole bit would come to you. <laughs> You, you'd write, I know how I'm going to use this. I know exactly what I'm going to do. I didn't have anything in mind. And then the music entirely creates the bit for exactly. you. Exactly. And that happened more than once. It was well, like, you yeah. also had found film too. That when you had Jackie Smash. Is that who he was? Jackie yeah, I did Smash. a lot of those, those lip sync bits. Yeah. Uh, just because I had, had no other ideas but in my it, head. But if the front thing in the beginning of the show would be Jackie Smash opening cold open on the show, right? And so, yeah, yeah. It, Hello, I'm funny man Jackie Smash, head writer for Almost Live. You do remember stuff, don't you? Wow. <laughs> it's burned into my brain. Okay, man. Well, look, let's get to it because this right. is what people want to know. Um, and that is, of course, the single bit, perhaps only the lame list had more episodes, but I'm not even sure about that, mm. than, than the storied Billy Kwan episodes. I'm guessing we did between 15 and 20 of those Billy Kwans. Oh, yeah, you say that's about right? It, yeah, well, it was the same script, but we just... It the, was. The gags were, you know, and the, uh, I guess the setting was different each time, but it was always an infraction, and then Billy would lash out. <laughs> each time for... Mind your manners with Billy Kwan. Today's episode, Library of Death. Today's episode, Tools of Fury. Today's episode, Eight Ball of Fury. Today's episode, Blades of Fury. Today's episode, Office of Death. Today's episode, Jocks of Fury. Fury. Lots of fury, lots of death. <laughs> Billy Kwan, really, when you think about it, was a cartoon. That, that's yeah, really that's what it was. Yeah. Uh, it was a live-action cartoon. It was like, a, I don't know, the Roadrunner cartoons. It was always the bad guy 
uh, gets his comeuppance at the end. He's he's outwitted and and uh, outphysicaled, if you will, by by Billy Kwan. And it would always be something innocuous. You might be in a restaurant just trying to enjoy yourself, eating a meal, and then Keister would always be the the other guy, and he yeah. would start smoking or in a library he'd start speaking loudly and when you're supposed to be quiet it, it, and billy had a, had a had a very short fuse yeah, i think we could say he, he would just he'd just get offended exactly. and he would, he would try to reason with the guy at first but pretty soon he'd leap to his feet shake his finger and uh yeah. and say if you continue to do this I, you have a he what, what did you always say you said you have offended me no yeah, you right. must pay for it or is that you must die <laughs> yeah well it was it was extreme but you know a guy has its limits and <laughs> <laughs> it's true that's true you you are a nice guy i think we know that from the beginning that billy's a nice guy my father was a brilliant man and a good writer but don't push him <laughs> Uh, excuse me, could you be quiet in the library, please? Uh, since when do you own the library? Sure. <laughs> Put a sock in it! No! Why don't you just bite me? Uh, big fathead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, he don't, don't piss him listen. off. He will snap. No, for the closing chapter. Philosophy, botany, chemistry, geology, astronomy, history. Ow! Remember, kids, the library is a place of solitude, so zip your lip or you'll be overdue for a pounding. Remember, kids, be like me. Behave yourself. He has manners and he has etiquette, and when you when you breach that, he's going to let you pay for it. And There's he, a clear line. There's a clear line when you cross over that, that you're going to get it. You know? Now, tell me, tell me how uh, Billy the thing began i know it was john's idea but yeah tell me how it transpired oh i i remember this it's uh it was a piece called uh generic action movie right and I it was remember. just the best parts of all the movies made into a movie now the video you've been waiting for the most guns guts glory big arms and foxy babes ever <laughs> packed into one cassette Generic action movie. Okay, so there's a James Bond ejector seat scene, and you know. <laughs> Not so fast, Mr. Keister. First, we will go to the moon base. The moon, huh? No problem. And off he goes. That's Bill Nye playing the impeccably voiced villain. And by the way, Daryl, I recently discovered something among the Billy Quan trove. I had thought that I was always the guy dubbing your voice, but it turns out Nye did the voice one time. Check it out. Huh, huh, nice shoes, huh? Well, I'll just trade them with one of mine. <laughs> no one will know the difference. <laughs> oh. Hey, your stinky sneaker is smelling up the atmosphere of this store. Huh? My sneaker has no odor. See for yourself. <laughs> Remember, kids, wear clean socks or Billy will sock you. The lesson here is that everybody can be replaced. Anyway, back to the generic action movie, Daryl. And then there is a, the uh, Rambo scene of putting gaffer tape all over the gun and getting ready to have the big battle. And, and uh, you know, and then John with bare arms <laughs> shooting this Uzi. <laughs> but it's, 
you know, his flabby arms shaking. <laughs> and then there was, <laughs> then we had to do Lee, of course, right? And so we did, I can't remember what that one, I forget what that bit was, but it was Billy Kwan, right? And it yeah. was just like, you know, it was like a, a send up of a, it was a send up of a Bruce Lee uh, martial yeah, arts movie. Exactly. Yeah. And that's yeah. really sort of, everybody knew that one. You must leave. This is the land of my father. Unless you leave now, we must fight to the death. Come on then, let's fight. Everybody saw Bruce Lee movies, so it's like generic action movie fit perfect. And and uh, Mike, John, and I were looking at each other, going, "Man, there, there's something to this thing. It's kind of fun to do, you know." And uh, and if you were on almost live long enough, working on the team. You, you ended up having a character. I mean, everybody was on the air. I mean, it's yeah. just, that's just, that's the thing true. That's yeah. true. There was yeah. no casting or anything. We just, oh yeah, we did an Asian guy. Yeah, we couldn't afford Bring to him pay anybody. So it had to be, you had to be already on hand. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Did you, were you in any other bits besides Billy Kwan? No, I, I, all I remember was one time they wanted to do a live Billy Kwan on the stage, on the set. Oh. Oh, really? And they wanted Billy Kwan to come in and test the brick to see that it was real bricks. And I think it was a lead into a Bill Nye piece. And they wanted to show that it was really uh, that is it was, in fact, a real brick. So they said, well, we have our tester coming in. Uh, <laughs> now, John, I want to show the studio audience that these two bricks are very, very strong indeed. And, and in order to show that, I'm going to bring out perhaps the master of strength. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Mr. Billy Kwan. Uh -oh. I never done the live thing before. Yeah. No, and it's, and it's, it was horrifying. Horrifying. The whole audience sitting yeah. There right. Yeah. And we're sitting in the back, and then, and John said, "Yeah, we got Billy Quad here live today." Blah blah blah. And I'm listening okay. to all that, and I'm going, "How's this going to work?" So they are strong. Huh? Okay. Hey, hey, Billy. <laughs> John, be cool. You must have been terrified. I mean, I was, I was horrified because you, people would who know you know that you you never embraced the idea of being on on camera. You no. you did it, okay, John. If you say you want me to do it, I'll do it. But you yeah. didn't really want to. Oh no, gosh, that's just that that's a nightmare. So anyway, I'm sitting in the back, you know, backstage there, and there's a little door that goes out there to the to the uh, the set, and yeah. uh, and then I hear bit. Uh, uh, they're going to a commercial. He, he throws it to a commercial, and then John comes out and goes, "Hey, man, you ready? Ready to go?" And he goes, "Ah, it's gonna be fine. It's gonna go real quick. Just do your thing, and then uh, and I'll get you out of there." And then he well, no, and then wait, wait a minute though. Back, he, yeah, wait, well, wait a minute though. Is it a real brick? What are you supposed to do? It's a real brick. To, he wanted me like, to just like like, like test it. You know, and then the idea how, would be the idea would be that oh goddamn that hurts. Oh, yeah, right. This is real brick. Yeah, yeah. And then. uh and then, uh, uh, so he says, when the commercial break, he says, it'll be fine. Don't worry. I, I tell you, you're scared. You know, I said, nah, don't worry about it. And then uh, before he went back out there, we hear the music playing, bumper music coming, and then the bit's coming up. And John, last thing John says to me goes, he goes, uh, he, he says, it'll be fine. Just don't screw it up, okay? Oh, Thanks, great. man. <laughs> oh, great. Thanks, coach. <laughs> Just don't screw it up. So I went out there, you know, and uh, uh, I don't think, I don't, Pat, I don't think you did the voice for that. I don't know. 
Maybe no, did. I probably I don't remember that uh, live appearance, so I probably didn't. Oh my gosh, that was just something else. And uh, but the I, audience must have gone nuts when you walked out. Oh there. yeah, they 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 said, "Well, he's smaller than he looks on t- you know, TV." But but that's about all. You know, that's that they they felt privileged to. to he's be far more Caucasian <laughs> in person than he, he looks on TV. Oh my god! No, let but me hear. Did, let me hear your you went, voice. Yeah. Did you go through with it? Oh yeah, no, I I I, I got through it, and it was just Billy Quan. John, I got out there just about fainted, right? Because uh, oh you know, yeah, your heart shouldn't beat that fast. <laughs> it really shouldn't beat that fast. What? So, we, like I said, we did a million of these things, and if people are listening to this podcast, that might be one of the first things they think of, of regarding the show. Are these wonderful, fun Billy Quan? I, I was lying in bed this morning, Daryl, knowing we were yeah. going to do this interview, and I yeah. started giggling to myself, <laughs> just thinking of how damn funny they were. They were. It, you're right. It was the same template over and over, but it yeah. was always funny, and it was a crowd pleaser, and and people just loved it. And yeah. uh, so, what what do you uh, what are some if you can remember any standout moments for you? Well, uh, I mean, shooting yeah. those things. The bits, you know, about Billy's lashing out, it started to escalate. I mean, it really did where a pogo stick, you know, he comes bouncing in on a pogo stick and he's jumping on Keister's chest with a thing. (laughs) We're holding the pogo stick and bouncing it off his chest, right? And and Sean's going, ow, 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 ow. ow." And then then Billy's going, I told you not to do that, and you did it. Now you must die. You know, it's that kind of a thing, but uh, oh god! And then throwing throwing dummies off the building. Oh know, god! Just, uh, but yeah, we yeah. never re- we never thought about it. I mean, the, the, uh, people ask me, "Could you do that show today?" And I I said, "Yeah, uh-huh. I think so," but we couldn't do it the same way. No, uh, you know, since nine eleven forward, people are oh so. Gosh nervous about everything you couldn't be throwing dummies off buildings or well, running around with guns play guns and all that <laughs> stuff we yeah, couldn't no, do it no way I, I remember though what uh you know how the old king five building was uh it's all glass front right right and so when right. we threw the dummy off the building you could see it from the offices <laughs> right and so somebody called the building manager and said i think someone just fell off the roof <laughs> We never cleared anything with anybody. We just no, we know, just we didn't did say, it. Hey, we're gonna throw a dummy off the building just no. so everybody knows. No, we didn't. We didn't do that. No, that would be I'm, too mature. That was really extremely violent. I guess. Yeah, they, so, you know, I used to be a fan of the old Superman TV series. Oh yeah. And if you see the early ones, they are extremely violent. <laughs> I mean, he he's beating the crap out of people, and then they got more tame as they went along because kids were watching yeah but exactly. you're right billy kwan was just the opposite yeah. they started out relatively innocuous and then they got increasingly <laughs> violent bowling <laughs> him down well, we gotta make, we gotta go crazier than we did the last time let's tear 
Keister spleen out this time. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to get it with my bare hands. You know, it's like... <laughs> I was, uh, Billy will be holding his beating heart. You know, exactly, and show it to him. You know, if we did still do the show, that's where it would have gone. You know that. <laughs> that's where it was added, all right. Oh, my God, no good, question about it. Good thing I don't know if you remember out. this, Daryl. One time, I'm sitting in my editing booth. I, I, I know that editing booth. I know that one on the corner. Yep, down one in the corner, and I get a call on the landline. I pick it up, and it's Keister, mm-hmm. and and Keister says, "Cashman, we're down here at uh, late uh, at Leslie Park." <laughs> you remember what I'm talking I, about? I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and we forgot to bring the legs, <laughs> and the legs. How could you forget these, the legs, man? The le- <laughs> yeah, it's like forgetting to. You, you're in your car driving down the street, and you forgot your keys. I mean, <laughs> yeah, like exactly that. Right. And so, and so he says, and and for people who might be wondering what the legs are, they were these foam legs, fake legs, just legs, by the way, no torso, just the legs that were to represent you, your legs, when you were flying through the air about to kick Keister in the face. Exactly. And they were always a staple of every episode. Oh, you had to get to the legs as soon as possible. Yeah. Because people love that. Yep. And, And then, and then Mike, I guess, Boydston, and later Ralph would have to strap the legs yeah. to themselves for the camera point of view. So you, the camera would see the legs jutting out into the yeah. foreground and then, and then be chasing John around. So, uh, but they had forgotten the legs and I'm, and I'm thinking, oh, geez, I don't have time to do this. <laughs> I remember that. He said, come on, come on, please. We got, we're almost done with the shoot, but we've got to get the leg shot. So I said, okay, I'll be there as soon as I can. So I get one of the King TV vans and we had an intern with us. I don't remember who it was. And I, and so we get in the van, we're driving. No, no, here's, here's our perspective. Oh, here comes the van. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. yeah right. You tell the story. You tell the story. No, no, it's just, it's just, we we were standing there waiting because Mike's, Mike's going, you know, uh, you know, I can't believe you forget, you know, how he used to scratch his head and stuff. It's like, <laughs> Here comes the van. And then so the van doesn't even slow down. And the door flies open and the legs come flying out and, and they peeled out. <laughs> peeled out without exactly even stopping. Right. You peeled yeah. out without even stopping. <laughs> and I remember I think Thanks, I heard man. later that there were like an older couple walking down the yeah, sidewalk exactly. near the park and they saw these legs come flying out of this van. And, and we're supposed to believe that yeah. they thought nothing of it. Yeah, yeah honey, you should, You think we should report that? <laughs> Looks like some legs. Legs just flew out of that van. I saw oh, that. You're, you're drunk again, Fred. There, there's nothing. Oh, my God. It's Billy Kwan. Hey, well, that's what I, one of the things I wanted to ask you is we'll bring this cow into the barn. Uh, did you, have you been recognized through the years during the time of the show, but in all these years since, if uh, people said, hey, you're a Billy Kwan guy. You know, that's the weirdest thing. That is really weird because uh, it does happen. And, you know, I that that's like, I don't know how many years ago. It was decades ago, right? Yeah, 20. Uh, okay, 20 years ago. More than so, that. So it's in deep, sort of deep storage in my mind. But someone would come up and say, hey, are you Billy Kwan? Be like Billy. And it's like, for case in point. Uh, just uh, last uh, two weeks ago, 
Uh, oh my God. We, two weeks ago, we're in Oklahoma City and uh, Mary's niece comes up from Dallas, brings her boyfriend and we're having dinner. And uh, Mary just says uh, something, some joke about uh, Billy Kwan or something like that because we're the, he's in the business too. And uh, we were talking about being on camera and stuff. And Mary's talked about Billy Kwan and, she, and he said, are you Billy Kwan? And you said. <laughs> and, and it was just this big deal. And it was like, gosh, I wish he wouldn't have brought that up because now it's you know going to dominate conversation. But uh, he says, I remember that so well. And he was like a kid, right? Watching yeah, it, yeah. Like 20 oh, gosh, years ago. kids loved it. Because what was he? He was barely 30 years old, right? So 20 years ago or 20, or 15 so, years ago. So he's like eight, nine years old. Oh, yeah. And he says, yeah. I love that. I love that. And, you know, because Billy Kwan ended up going out sort of on a national way. You could see it. And so they've seen that. And there's also kind of a following on on YouTube. So did you not do some Billy Kwan uh, type stuff on uh, Bill Nye the Science Guy show too? Yeah, we did. We did. Yeah, uh, I thought so. Yeah, yeah e enter the farmer or something like that. It's time for Mind Your Manners with Billy Kwan. Today's episode: Harvest of Fury. Ah, at last, I have grown the perfect tomato on my urban farm. Hey, who put these dirt clods over here on my garden? Get these out of here. Ah! You have destroyed my masterpiece! Huh? Your careless clod throwing has turned my beautiful tomato into ketchup! Remember, boys and girls, be a good tomato, or I will weed you out. Uh, it's it's so enduring, and people love it, and 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 it's not derivative because you've seen that kind of thing since. But I believe it originated with Keister and you uh, on Almost Live, and then then you see it imitated many years since. But yeah, that's where it all began, and uh, it's just it's wonderful. And I think that's why younger people remember it. Uh, the show re-ran for many years, so that's uh, yeah, part of the sure. part of it. But um, it, it was uh, a, immediately accessible to anybody. Maybe some people didn't understand political jokes or mm -hmm. you know some of the other social stuff that was on the show. But the Billy Kwan, like I said, was a cartoon, and everybody saw it and got it and loved it. Since then, you have worked uh, on Bill Nye the Science Guy show. You won yourself a passel of daytime Emmy awards. And I hate you for that. And you, then you were, uh, among other things, you worked on a show called Postcards from Buster. Hey, Buster where you want to? Out of Boston was a spinoff, I think, of Arthur. As mm -hmm. a, but that was an interesting show because this little kid show dealt with a lot of uh, amazing issues, including uh, things like same-sex marriage. And I remember it got the ire of um, this moronic secretary of education who demanded that the funding for PBS uh, be yanked because we don't want our kids seeing this kind of stuff. Yes. In January 2005, an episode of Postcards with Buster would be met with criticism before it even hit the airwaves. The episode in question was titled Sugar Time, Heinsberg, Vermont, 
The concept of the episode itself is obviously tame and kid-friendly, but it was the family featured where questions were raised. The parents of the kids in the episode were two moms in the same gender relationship, with Buster even commenting, wow, that's a lot of moms. Nothing else is said or discussed regarding the relationship between the two mom parents, but the Department of Education was extremely hesitant to air the episode, simply due to the depiction of this family structure. A series of discussions between the Education Department and PBS were held. PBS ultimately folded to the pressure and banned the episode from airing on 350 of their stations across the country. What was that like? Well, I, I think the most people were behind this show uh, because it was it was pushing out. It was trying to find. Well, the premise of the thing was to, for kids to share their lives with Buster. Yeah, wasn't B Buster and, uh, had divorced parents for one thing, right? Yeah, and and his, his dad was an airline pilot or a jet pilot, and he would take Buster along all over the country to visit kids. And so Mary, my wife and I, we were field producers on that show. And they would send us into place. Uh, and, and the premise of the show was the kids would uh, show their life, uh, their home life, share their home life with Buster. And Buster was the camera. So we would run around with a camera and uh, the kids would talk to the camera. And, and then they would, uh, the show would then add the animation part of the conversation into it. It was really pretty cool what they did. Yeah. We just tried to get out, uh, push out and just find kids, you know, real kids do real, living real situations and, and trying to explore that. And so, you know, when, when you push out like that, sometimes you're going to push beyond someone's comfort level sure. on something. Sure. Else. Uh, and, and, and what happened, was there was a great uproar but you know uh, you know the, the show came to a tragic end because the uh, producer she uh got bone cancer and she passed away oh, no. and so she was the figurehead of the whole thing and the one that was driving the whole thing and uh when she went it just you know it was wgbh in boston so you you've you've done a you've done a million things daryl and you've had such a great career and at a time of life when some guys would be hanging up their spurs, you're still working. You have your own company uh, yeah. called Owner. Uh, you're the owner of Press Play Pictures. Yeah. So, which is, yeah. you, so you basically are a gun for hire. You'll do all kinds of things. Yeah, we, we, we're, we're doing things. You know, a funny story real quick. I know we're kind of probably running out of time. But as uh, soon as Mary and I came into town, we thought we're going to show this town how you know how to do production and stuff like that so mary met this uh, friend of hers her husband was the communications director at devon energy which is you know if you come to oklahoma city it's the tall building it's the only skyscraper in the building mm. that company built that building mm. and so we're, we we got it in with him and he said hey what's it why don't we just go meet for dinner so we go down there and uh, go to the oklahoma city golf and country club and then uh, as we're walking in everyone's saying hey man how you doing how's it going finally these three guys walk up and uh Clay Bennett was one of them. <laughs> he said, "He said, hey, I want you to meet my friends from Seattle. And they go, oh, they're not going to like us. That's right. We're the, we're the attorneys. Yeah, Clay Bennett, the owner of the Thunder, yeah. The transition and the move of this, of this operation and this team begins tomorrow morning from Seattle to Oklahoma City. Yeah, and he says, well, this is the attorney company that made the deal. <laughs> You're not going to like oh us very God. much. And so we're thinking, well, that's, you know, that's water under the bridge. That's a done deal. You right. know, they're here. So, but we never bought season tickets or anything like that. But I have sat on the court down there. 
Okay. Because, uh, some of, right. some of those people have those kinds of tickets, right? So why not? And uh, Kevin Durant was still playing for them. Back yeah, then. yeah, he was there, and he's built for the game. Man, you are built for the game too. You are. <laughs> you uh, you're one of my favorite people in the world. You you really a heart and soul of of almost live in in its halcyon days. I never never saw you with a scowl on your face you were always upbeat and fun and funny you and i used to go golfing all the time together yeah we did and i would tell you this um i um i got a birdie one time was it in a tree yeah it was it was a robin specifically okay yeah. you owned a miata for a period of time yeah i did and then I but did. then you you liked the car and everything but you said damn it I can't get my golf clubs into the truck. <laughs> yeah, so right. you got rid of it. No good. Just for yeah. that reason. You're always yeah, been no, a pleasure, no. man. I love you. But I still wish you'd go all Billy Kwan on Clay Bennett. Okay. All right. I love you too, buddy. So great to talk to you. I'll see you. The Almost Live, Still Alive podcast. Produced and edited by Morris Patrick Cashman. Technical director is Dave Tavers. Special gratitude to the legendary Kenneth George Buford McCaw, Almost Live's chief archivist. And thanks also to King TV Seattle. This program was made possible in part by the 12th century nun and mystic Hildegard von Bingen, inventor of spoken language. And by Emil Berliner, creator of the microphone. And I'm your announcer, that kid from Sluggy, Chris Cashman.